0: Empire of the Suns.
1: Empire of the Suns.
0: Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast.
1: Empire of the Suns.
0: Hello there and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Hello, Zimmerman. What's up? Um, brain's a mess. Not the Suns' his fault. It's right fine. before we clicked record, you let out a heavy sigh in a quiet room and then chugged the rest of your Red Bull until it was gone. You did the clank on the table and everything. <laughs> you okay? I'm doing fine, yeah. No, it's just too much legal stuff. Mm, legal documents, yes. Not even um, for
1: the worst of reasons today. N-
0: not a Sun story we'll get to uh, today. No. Suns story we will get to today is the timeline diagnosis for Chris Paul, Shams Sharania of The Athletic reporting. He is expected, expected, to be reevaluated in one week after the MRI on his groin injury today. Now the Suns, in their official update, called it a left groin strain. To go back to Shams' reporting, Suns are preparing to be without Paul through games three and five. Now, will they be without him for games three and five? No, but they are preparing. Again, wordage. Very not purposeful, but careful because uh, you can never be too sure. We never know 100% on these things, but more or less of what I expected. Now, the Suns came out and called him day-to-day, and they have not ruled him out yet for game three. That will come Thursday afternoon uh, when the injury report comes out. But more or less kind of what I expected, I, I think this is – some of the best case scenarios that i could have thought of for his timeline what about you
1: yeah i mean it looked bad you never know what those things Uh. and it it still could be you know multiple weeks which might not even matter if you don't get past this series and recover obviously but i think we move forward um i was i was like my first reaction the last few days was like okay I feel bad for him and I feel bad for Suns fans who like had and probably still have big expectations for this team. We can get into his career stuff when it's time, but down oh two. We talked about like there are positives coming out of game two. Mm-hmm. Um even when he wasn't on the court and there are reasons to say, okay, let's stick to basketball let's see what the suns do and that's where we go now what what do you think is like the biggest direction of this team right now like we can start with the starting lineup if you want but if you want to yeah that's what everyone wants to talk about i think
0: uh before we go before we start (laughs) would you have guessed kevin that over these games in the playoffs chris paul best net rating on the team uh 7.9 in his 250 minutes and the worst off-court rating Chris Paul, they get outscored by 17.9 points per 100 possessions when he is out for those 86 minutes. You think about the pockets where he is sitting. It is mostly in those back half of the first and third quarters. That's where the Suns have really struggled. That A lot of that, of course, can, be, can mirror and kind of show the struggles that the bench has had and the reserves have had specifically because those are the most reserve-heavy parts of the game so far, and those are the ones that he was sitting for. But, yeah, the starting thing, I think you could go a million different directions. I don't think that there's a clear and concise answer. I'm going to have two stories go up today, one of them on how something we'll talk about later, which I think like pressure is totally on Denver now, and we don't know how they respond to this because you can say they made the Western Conference Finals in the bubble, but they were not going into that series, and no one treated them in that series like a team that could, one, win that series, or two, win that series and then win another one. I think yeah. they're looked at a team right now, especially with Milwaukee out, especially with Boston losing game one and looking like Philly could really give them a run for their money right now that I wouldn't call them the favorites for the title right now, but they are absolutely in the discussion now. There's been an attitude coming out of Denver for years now, which Suns fans will relate to when the Suns started winning and they wanted everyone to start taking them seriously and talk about them more and take them more seriously. Title contenders, that's been the similar kind of thing coming out of Denver. We're starting to hear it and see it now a whole lot. You just look at TNT – post-game and if that's not the source you would take more the most seriously i get it but at the same time that is the most watched and viewed and talked about nba show on the planet podcast or tv whatever you want to call it chuck all those guys giving huge respect to denver as a team it wasn't just a Jokic love fest or a murray love fest they were talking about the team as a whole we'll get to that in a minute though um the starting part
1: should we start with who do you think if we had to bet on it money starts because this is complicated, too, because...
0: Are we assuming Akogi stays in? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think he does, especially how they did on Jamal. But,
1: like, the, the twist in it is campaign is, like, is he ramped up? I don't know what he's said about he's that. He's ramped
0: up. It's been a while now.
1: He hasn't had 5-on-5 practices or whatever, but, I mean... He and he's also had this, this long break. Yeah. It's so been, like, two
0: or three weeks at this point.
1: That's the obvious, like, easy choice, but...
0: Let's eliminate names. Okay. Ish? No. TJ Warren? No. Campaign? We'll keep him in? Yeah. Landry Shamit? No. <laughs> this oh. is our opinion or what we think is going to happen? Our uh, uh, What we think. I'm keeping Landry in. Okay. Tory Craig? He's in. Damian Lee. He, he is in. Terrence Ross. Yes. Isn't that interesting how four we're guys? trying to figure out the fifth starter and we for, for this specific situation where it has to be a bench player stepping up, and we named five guys who we think the Suns could potentially start. Yeah. And I think we would argue together that there are at least three or four names under consideration when taking out what we think the Suns are thinking and more of what we are thinking. It's almost like there's a reason – to sift through all of these guys and see what you got in all of them for, you know, reasons. And because they're all not, let's just say it like it is, they have four two-way players. yeah They're the four best players on the team. I want to give Josh Kogi a ton of credit for the offensive stretches that he had. It, it was the best offensive uh, season of his career that he had yeah. in the regular season. But that moment in game two says a lot and Torrey Craig's impact offensively fading after game four of the Clippers series says a lot you just can't consistently rely on them to be offensive productive offensive players so then you go through the rest of these guys okay Damian Lee and Terrence Ross there are huge defensive concerns there we'll get to them in a bit campaign even his positive which is rim pressure pace comes with this erratic cost where you just never really know if the roller coaster is going to be an enjoyable one. It was not really an enjoyable one in game two, but the fact that they were on the roller coaster instead of shutting down the roller coaster for maintenance or whatever (laughs) wasn't a benefit to them. Landry Shamit, the offensive decision making is not there. No. Ish Wainwright, he hasn't been a trustworthy enough shooter to go there. Darius Baisley, they gave him some looks. They've given him a lot of looks in practice. They've tried to figure out what's Let's call it like it is. That was a tax-cutting move. That was not a move to get Darius Basley somewhere in the. What if rotation. Dario
1: would have been helpful, possibly? Which yeah. is another avenue
0: yeah. to go down. But so here's my whole thing, and I tweeted this, and I allowed myself to tweet about this for like three or four tweets when I told myself I wasn't going to do it the whole postseason because I knew the rotation choices were going to be the thing that everyone was headbutting a wall about the entire time. And they're going to continue to even after I say this. There are two points that you can make about the lack of depth right now on the team. That no one, I I don't see anyone making in my mentions or on my timeline right now. One, the Dario trade, cost-cutting move, tax-cutting move. He would have been immense help in yeah. this series, last series. Some matchups it doesn't work. These two matchups, it would have worked. As the small ball five against the Jeff Green lineup, you kidding me? He would have been perfect. You know who's been really good for Denver off the bench and one of the best six men in the league this year? Bruce. How did they get Bruce Brown?
1: The Mid-level exception, Kellen. The which, taxpayer
0: mid-level exception. Which
1: would have cost you more tax money, Kellen. Which why didn't we, they do that, Kellen? Did they have a different
0: owner, Kellen? talked about extensively, and I had not a lot of feedback, to be clear, but just a couple of people being like, you keep bringing this up, man. Like, it, why you keep... This is why. This is why I keep bringing it up. Now, they made this trade that you couldn't have seen coming to make their depth get in this even worse position. But with that in mind, those are the two main things. They didn't use their taxpayer mid-level exception. Look at the Warriors minutes they're getting out of Dante. Look at the Denver minutes they're getting out of Bruce Brown. They could have had a similar-ish player at that level. They didn't use it. Now, I'm not here casting blame. I'm just providing reasons why. I'm not going to sit here and talk about the change in ownership or whatever, but that's just the reason why. And Because then- one of those things was before the change and one was after. Correct. So, is what it is. You could have had two more guys. All of a sudden now, you're bringing out Torrey Craig, Dario that 6th, 7th caliber guy where he actually is like the 6th or 7th best player on a title team kind of caliber kind of guy, but they don't have him. And so now they're in this position. And and it's the position that they are in. Let's go to what we think. Yeah. I started off thinking the campaign needed to come off the bench. And I thought this because you need to stagger Duran and Booker as much as possible on the court and off the court. Chris's... Um, remarks in L.A. were sound about how you guys see 45 in the box score, but watch him on the court. They're getting breaks out there. Those breaks are gone now for Kevin and Devin. They're not going to happen on the floor anymore, but if they can still find a way to have someone else contributing to the flow or the start of offensive possessions, I think that Cam has to be out there as much as possible with them, and I think that a Kogi needs to as well, because he can bring the ball up a little bit. They are going to hound those guys everywhere even more. I wouldn't be surprised if they full-court There's a full court mentality on both of them for all of those games, and I thought you needed that kind of off the bench to stagger it a bit. But you might just need it starting the game. Here's a problem with starting it with the game: How does Denver adjust to campaign being in the game? They do not. They play a drop again. Yeah, they play the same system. And he's
1: not. Yeah, I mean, Steve Jones kind of had this thread, and it kept coming back. Where it's like they're ignoring Chris. They're ignoring Chris. They're dropping on Chris pick and rolls. And, like, inviting the mid-range, and campaign does not have the mid-range. He does not have even the floater range where it's, like, a little bit of a threat. Now, I guess, like, okay, he he will attack Jokic better, scoop and score, like, type stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I think in most iterations they don't really change how they defend the Suns, right? Because, like, so much is on Book and Durant. So I think a lot of what we saw kind of translates because they were ignoring Chris. And that's why like Chris starting to hit some shots before he got hurt was such a big deal. Cause he started to make them pay for that. Um, but like the, the good thing about the campaign option is like you stick him on KCP. It's not like the Clippers series where it's like, I don't know who he guards as much. Um, he can get away with playing heavier minutes, I think on this team against this team. So that's positive. Um, I think there's something to be said for keeping him with the bench. Again, it's it's also a matter of his rhythm was not there, even if he is ramped up his wind and legs and all that stuff. Because um, then your first guard's Damian Lee. Um, I don't know. It's I'm more tending to think shooter is more of a disrupt. The, uh, yeah, disruptive move for them to throw the nuggets off for at least a game and be like oh this is a very different look because if you have campaign in there i i don't think it really challenges denver's game plan as much as it would if you just make point book to start and and that doesn't even mean like campaign is going to play more or less minutes i
0: think it's just something to throw them off from the jump in game three i think Spacing. I'm, I'm writing this in the, in the preview for Game 4. Spacing should be the number one priority for who you put here. Yeah. Because you are going to start a Kogi again. You have to because of how well he played on Jamal Murray and how he was the, the guy who defended him the most on a night where you limited him extremely well and executed a game plan really well. So I think it has to be Damian Lee or Terrence Ross. Yeah. Why isn't Ross playing? Um, I have heard that in my voicemail. I have heard that over text. I have heard that in my Instagram DMs. I have heard it going to Quick Trip. I heard it at the airport I didn't ask you this. I heard it in the crowd in Denver. I've heard it in the crowd in Phoenix. Over the month that Terrence Ross played, he tried very hard on defense. It was not an effort thing. It was not an engagement thing. He was trying to stay engaged. Too engaged at times. Too many fouls. It was to the point with what you're saying where – he was just trying too hard almost and the way that that i wrote it basically is cohesive rotations which goes to what you're saying getting a step out of position too consistently which again goes to what you're saying they're just like you sometimes guys are hesitating and you can't tell you can always tell when he's hesitating on a defensive choice or a rotation and you cannot be hesitating on those kinds of things then he he fouls a lot yeah he has fouled a lot and you wrote it and you you presented both sides of the coin you can hide him on KCP but you also brought up and what I'm going to bring up in mind which is they are going to relentlessly hunt him when he's on the floor relentlessly and I say when he is because I he is going to get run at some point in this series now how much is he going to get is it just going to be like we saw at the start of the playoffs when Monty had him out there for four minutes and it was the Sheck Diallo thing where three years ago Monty gave Sheck Diallo a chance Saw the way he was moving around the floor. Saw how he just couldn't be in the right spot at the right time. I was like, no. And then, and then eject. Yeah, Diallo pretty much never played the entire the rest of that season. That's what he did. Those four minutes, Ross probably did like two or three things wrong that they emphasized, and that he knows, and that he just screwed up on anyway because he's trying really, really hard. He's a sound veteran who understands all this stuff, but it just doesn't click for him defensively in the same way that i would compare it to Shamit's offense obviously where you can tell the mind is just ahead of his body yeah and whenever you can spot that in the second round of the playoffs it's a bad thing and denver is going to it's going to be too easy for denver to expose him because kcp is going to come set a screen he's going to get switched off and then murray's going to go to work and someone i can't remember who on twitter said this but DA's backline coverage on those ball screens was better in Game 2 than it was in Game 1, but it still hasn't been at the level it needs to be. So if you're putting a poor defender at the top of it and you have questions about the backline as well, you're in a really compromising position. So I don't think that he can start. I think he should play, to be clear, but I don't I, I don't think he can start. If they do start him, I get it and I understand. I'm not going to be saying, like, this is a horrible decision. It's just like i I not the one... That I think should have been the one, and and I think it should be Damian Lee. I thought that he played really well in game two. The shooter did not make shots, I understand, but he is in a similar camp of Ross, but he's in the right spot every time, and you don't see him hesitating, but they just pick on him a lot. Teams pick on him a lot, and I haven't gone back and watched it yet. I plan to at some point here before the game. But I don't know how much they were targeting him per se. But whenever he was involved and had to make rotations, I noticed him, and I noticed him doing it correctly. Yeah, he I mean was. it's it's a trade off, right? It's
1: okay. I think Terrence Ross, you get a couple more shots up in even limited minutes. The floor spacing is going to be there, and he is and he he's, is an actual score. and can he put yeah. him
0: in Booker actions, and he can do that
1: right. And and even if it's a kick, and they do close out, suddenly he can you know take a couple dribbles, pull up. Whereas Lee is more spot shooter, but you do get the much better. I'm sure Monty will not be having as much of a heart attack on the defensive side. And that's where it's like, I probably should have mentioned him more than just putting his name in the thing I wrote because of that, because it's the same idea, right? Like you still screw up their spacing. And that's my whole thing is you have to make them change their defense from the first two games and think about how they're going to help. Or if they should help on Booker Durant stuff. But yeah, it's I think I think they need to make an aggressive change to get a shooter in yes. the starting lineup, is what I'm saying. And like campaign, in theory, should help the spacing along with the gravity. And the he shifts, he shifts the pace,
0: he ups the pace, but yeah. it's just they're going to trap or play just aggressive help off of Duran and Booker, even more so than they were before. And so it's going to be in one of those positions where it's like last game, like people are like, why is campaign shooting so much? Because the other guys are getting trapped off the ball and someone yeah. has to do it and he's going to do it. It's like when there are going to be moments in the first at the end of the first third quarter where people are tweeting out the lineups and they're like, what is this on the floor right now? Dude?
1: <laughs> this is their bench, dude. Where have you been for the past seven months? That this is a is good the point. Team
0: that they have. <laughs> Who are these players on this team? yeah like it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be like Payne, booker ross warren and landale and people are like oh bro this, you, this is you, never can played you, can you believe this they've this never played that, this lineup yes, played yes yes that's what happens because they have to <laughs> sorry I'm i wasn't in, i was not I, in a good I, mental I, space yeah I, me and you have both reached our and i think a lot of other people have to reach their wits end when it comes to the money criticism on rotation specifically and i feel like i have to oh. keep saying something because it's there are reasons you to can, criticize him, which we is have what done, gets yeah. you to close out the last five. They cannot make a safe choice here. They cannot just put Tori and Josh in there, or oh, Landry no. and Josh, no. or Tory and TJ, or something like that. And by the way, we brushed by TJ. Uh, David hit, hit on this. Our Australian correspondent, yes, makes like I, he probably has a better chance of hanging around on defense, and then offensively he can help. But the main role when you're out there with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker is spacer, and, and yeah. that's where the question mark is. But he would find a way to contribute still, but I think it makes more sense for him off the bench. I think he should still play off of the bench, but we, it, it cannot be a conservative choice. Too many times under this tenure, the team has chosen to match what the other team is doing or stick with what they have done as opposed to adapting, changing themselves and making the other team adapt to them. Yeah. Because, look, if you put Terrence Ross in the corner, are they going to just stay on him in the corner the entire time? No, they're going to make him shoot the shot over and over again, still like anyone else. But it's something for them to at least think about. Like, there are moments I found, looking back at those Clippers games where Damian Lee played well that I pointed out, like, Bones Highland is recovering back to him because Bones Highland's one dash on the Lee scouting report is shooter. That's what it says on his scouting report, and then it probably says something on the defensive scouting report about trying to go at him or whatever. But... They cannot make a conservative choice with so uh, of those three guys, Shamit, who who is probably going to play. I'm just preparing, trying to prepare people. <laughs> Akogi and Craig, only one of them can start. I think that it has to be Payne, Ross, or Lee yeah. as the other guy. I think it has, I think it has to be Akogi to be clear with how you defend a Murray. Yeah, and then I think it has to be one of those other three guys. And I would I would rather see Lee or Ross, but if it's Payne, I get it and and, it, and it's okay.
1: I think that was a good way to put it. I mean, look, Pelican series last year. They went with a dual big lineup against Jackson Hayes, right? Like Jackson Hayes, to your point about reacting to the other team instead of forcing the other team to react to you. Larry
0: Nance is a fun player, but make Larry Nance cover a shooter.
1: And and when you just talk and you listen to NBA podcasts, like there's so much content and like funny personal stories about I think it was Jr. Smith, who was, like, first year in the league, first time he played Kobe, like, for, like, two practices straight. Byron Scott, I think, was his coach, and was just like, hey, Kobe's going to f- pump fake on you when we play tomorrow or whatever. You do not jump on the pump fake. Hey, don't jump on the pump fake. And Jr. like, got annoyed by it and tells a story about how, like, within f- – like the first play of the game or f- first minute of the game, Kobe pump fakes him and he jumps because yeah. you you know, he knows the scouting report on Kobe Bryant is not to jump, but you're playing Kobe Bryant. You want to contest the shot and like Byron Scott just like pulled him out. Like that's what people do when you put, for example, Terrence Ross in the corner and you're like, okay, the nuggets are like, okay, Michael Porter Jr. You're not, going to worry about it you go help if Devin Booker or Kevin Durant's driving or whatever what's he going to do if Terrence Ross hits one three or takes one three the next time he's going to go try to close him out because he's going to forget and just that's how human nature works so I I just think that you got to play that game and hope they make mistakes and force them to think differently and yeah, like naturally it's going to be different, but if you throw Tory Craig and Josh Kogi in there with that starting lineup, man, Tory Craig's going to have to just hit every three like he did in the Clippers series, which I don't I don't think is going to happen. And that's that's another option too where he could just be like, "Oh, we're very switchable. We're going to play really good defense with those two guys as wings and put Book at point." But yeah, I I just think you got to make the the Nuggets players think a little more.
0: To quickly slide by things we talked about a lot in the Game 2 pod that obviously translates to Game 3, even if Booker and Durant are just fine and not one of them goes on a superstar tear, if the Suns stick to their offensive and defensive process and not stick to it, but do it as well, if not better, than Game 2, then they're going to be in a position to win this game. Now, is that position the game is tied in the mid-third quarter, or is that position... They're up seven in the late fourth quarter. I don't know exactly, but they are going to be in a position to win the game if they execute the way they did on both ends of the floor, which is why you and I were both like, oh, yeah, still Suns and six, like if if Chris didn't get hurt, and who who knows if they even won or lost the game. But we, we felt that way regardless, uh, and I, I think that's really most of what to take. I'm interested to see at the start of the game if Denver goes back to, hey, throw it to, let Jokic do everything and no one else move because yeah. <laughs> the Suns were – they were moving, but Suns players were just staying on them. Like, no, we're not even going to like inch over as the like as the help guy or the low man or whatever. You're not going to get that extra foot that he always takes care of. Like, we're not we're not going to do that. Um, did you have anything else directly from the game? Because I do have one thing on like the series as a whole. Before we go,
1: no. I mean, I'm just curious. Curious because this, like we said last pod, this is like Monty's biggest coaching challenge. I think because look. I did the math. It's like 7% of teams have won down 0-2. The Suns have blown 2 of the last 3 before the Warriors are the latest to come back on the Kings, by the way. Mhm. Sad. Um but yeah. What's your what's your deal?
0: Uh last thing and I Wrote it down just now. Uh Kevin Durant has to set more screens in this game than he has for the entire postseason combined. Uh Booker Durant. You know how you get them actions. not to trap is get them not to trap off of Kevin Durant. Now here's the problem. Kevin Durant is defended by Aaron Gordon and you're taking a good defender to put on a good defender. But again, do not match. Make them adapt. Please. Last thing before we go. I wrote a columny narrative y kind of thing that should be up by the time you guys are listening to this. The pressure is now on Denver, undeniably. I think that that is not to just look past the fact that the Suns' season is basically on the line in this one game. Like, if they lose it, they're done, pretty much. The whole coming down from back from 0-3 doesn't really happen at all. Denver has been in this position looking for not, I don't want to say them themselves, but the mentality and, like, the attitude that I get from, like, that kind of area specifically is they've been on the search for respect and attention and being taken seriously like i said and they've got it um fanduel has them minus 490 to win the series now they were already like minus 250 or 280 after game 2 i checked but then once the chris timeline came out it's like yeah they are certifiable the suns more so are uh the underdogs and remember we were seeing quotes coming out of denver leading up to game 1 where jokic was like what do you do against the ass what do you do against the pick and roll pray and then there was just a couple of like we're playing the team that, that's going to that's supposed to come out of the west like treating themselves almost like the underdogs and it's like you guys don't get to do that anymore. You guys are the favorites now and they've never been in this position before in this Jokic era where they are certifiably like I said either a title favorite or one of the title favorites. They kind of were coming into this, but you can say that going into the playoffs, but now you see the path. It's like you're up 2-0, they're down chris paul win one of these games and then just win one of two at home did you watch game one of five
1: did you watch game one of the other series and then
0: suddenly it's oh oh
1: now it's real because like i do think that team has been i'd pick them to go to the finals and look at the east that's a mess too so like the path is there for whoever gets out of this series and obviously uh it's easier for them too
0: And I get that Phoenix and the Sun specifically can get down on themselves in this kind of situation. Booker's comments after the game spoke to it. I asked him today more about just like why he felt the need to – when he feels the need to step up and say something, how he approaches it and stuff. But he knew in that moment before Monty even comes in the room, someone's got to say something here because like this is not over as much as it feels like it's over. And then so he stepped up and said something like, I just love this. And he just had that really positive attitude about the situation that they were in. And wouldn't you know it, 11 years ago, Kevin, the other Kevin, Mr. Durant, uh, was down 0-2, coming back to his place. In the Western Conference Finals against the San Antonio Spurs, he went on to average in those four games. 30 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, a steal, a block, 3 turnovers, shot 55% from the field. In Game 4, with 6.53 left, the Thunder were up 4. They had won Game 3, so they were down 2-1. Up 4, 6.53 left, San Antonio made a little bit of a run. Kevin Durant scored 14 points in four minutes, all of OKC's points, and then the game was over. That was it. He's been in this spot before. He knows what to do. There is no... It was his opening presser where I don't know if he was exactly asked about pressure, but it was that response where he's like, I'm one of the best to ever do this. Like So, like, pressure to me. Not really a thing for that guy, and... Denver has never experienced this kind of thing before. Now I know Durant has to be better. We talked about that a lot last episode. We haven't really focused on it at all. It's we talked about it a lot already and we know it's a key coming in. But when you just look at the pressure and the way that the momentum of the series is shifting and the fact that Denver was 19 and 22 on the road last year and what we should see I will say Suns fans for your betterment if you're coming to the game, I know you're going to be anxious, I know there's going to be a sense of dread. You should probably be very very loud because <laughs> if this team gets off to a good start and you start to see Denver on the ropes a bit, that's where you can kind of look in and say, "Okay. Let's see what you got. You're down 8 through a quarter. This place is going nuts. It's shaking right now. Durantus had 15 in the first quarter. Like, okay, here you go. Like, can you close out the series right here in these next three quarters?" Or are you going to have this, because I think that's to close. That's where we're at right now. I think everyone kind of feels like they agree that this series is not over. But we feel like it's over. Yeah. But if Phoenix wins Game 3, all of us are going to be like, yeah, oh yeah. because This look, is going 6 or 7, yeah. If Denver wins Game 4, Phoenix wins Game 3, Denver wins Game 4. There's that one in Denver. And if Phoenix is that one in Denver... Maybe Chris Paul's back for game six, and then again, they're back at home. And then I, I know it's winning two games in Denver, and that's like the proposition against a stellar home team. Don't get me wrong, I'm going to give them their credit there. But game sevens, it's like everything goes out the window. Everything. I hope we have a long series because it's fun to watch. My basketball. flight was scheduled already, so they, they seem to, my, my <laughs> boss at least seems to think that we're going at least five. We'll see after Game 3. I think Game 3 is really the telling one, and it should yeah. be noted. Different circumstances for sure, but Denver was up 3-0 Minnesota and then just laid a dud in the yeah. fourth game. And then I think it was either Game 2 or Game 3. I think it was Game 2 where they were looking really good through six quarters, and then that defense from the 7-10 and 10 fart of the end of the regular season showed up briefly. Not briefly, but for like nine minutes in the third quarter. They were dreadful. They won that game anyway, but they had little moments in the first round with this kind of thing, too, where you can sense an opening. And we talk about this a lot. It's really easy to say, like, this is not a trap game, all that kind of stuff, right? And I'm not comparing this to a trap game, but it's really easy for them to take this just as seriously because Chris Paul's out, but they got to do it. And I just don't know. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying I think Denver's going to fold and they're going to prove that they were frauds, but... I just want to see it. I just want to see it. How's everything going? Any other legal issues Probably going on when I walk area? back to my desk. Mm. Okay. We'll be back after game 3 live from the arena. Until- oh yeah. Back at it. I did not have an OEA realization. I'm, I'm 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 aware. Happy to be there. Bye. Bye everyone.